Hello, welcome to Mining Now. I'm your host, Jared Downey. Uh, joining me in a moment is Gaudi Molina. I say in a moment because we have the two guests set up, which means Gaudi is running more computers. So she is um, behind the scenes making sure everything's working properly. Two very interesting guests today. Um, we're featuring Selixa. Now, Selixa is set up uh, to develop and commercialize the next generation of optical fiber sensors. To clarify, this is a mining show. We're not talking about fiber optics in your home. We are talking about sensor technology and data collection. And it is very, it's all about sustainability. It's about facilitating efficiency in this mind. Obviously a huge topic. So uh, Slixa was kind enough to provide two experts in the field so that we could sort of get it from both sides. Um, we're going to have Zara Anderson, VP of Mining, and uh, Garth Nelbrett. He is a Chief product Products Officer at uh, Slixa. So before we do that, we're going to bring in our for Gaudi to give a shout out to our sponsors, and then we're going to start off with Mining Now. Okay, so first up, we've got Fenner Dunlop. Monitoring the health of your steel cord conveyor belts has never been easier. Powered by Eagle Eye, Fenner Dunlop's Bird's Eye identifies potential belt issues before they have the opportunity to create the need for larger, more time-intensive, and expensive action. Log in from your smartphone, tablet, or computer to access all of your steel cord belts from one screen. Your Bird's Eye subscription also includes online remote service and call center support, on-demand web reports and yearly review of your system performance. Visit FennerDunlopAmericas.com for more information. Next up, we also have the Bucket Shop. The Bucket Shop provides wear solutions for all mining bucket applications that extend life cycles of three to four times. They help clients improve productivity and reduce operating costs by providing innovative options, including their five-piece cast lip system, cast heel shrouds, and mechanical two and five-piece buckets with optional disposable front ends. Beyond buckets, they provide truck box assemblies and liners, custom builds, undercarriage systems, ground engaging tools, and abrasive blasting and painting. Begin your savings today. Visit thebucketshop.ca. We also have Savannah Equipment. Savannah Equipment supplies new and used mining equipment around the world from placer to underground to ore processing plants. They have gold concentrating tables, trommels, and mineral jigs in stock now to take advantage of the high gold prices. You can visit them at savannahequipment.com where you will find more equipment every day. We also have Fuller Brothers. Fuller Brothers Inc. has over 59 years of tire industry experience as the world's leader in providing non-hazardous, non-toxic products that reduce tire management costs for a diverse range of customers. The acknowledged formula developers of the globally recognized tire life. Fuller Brothers also produces other quality products such as PSF Plus, PSF, Lubezit, Tire Cream, Dripless Tire Paint, Omega Tire Repair System, as well as select tire service tools and tire painting equipment. For more information, you can visit fullerbros.com or you can call toll-free at 1-800-547-7785. Fuller Brothers, we have the inside covered. And of course, we've got CIM. CIM is the leading membership organization for technical content and creating connections in the mining industry. Mining professionals and students can access a breadth of technical expertise through the CIM Technical Paper Library, the OneMind Digital Repository, the CIM Journal, the CIM Magazine, and also attend upcoming CIM webinars. Whether you're working in the field, in the office, or at home, you can join the community today and learn how they can help you achieve your prof professional goals. Visit them at cim.org. 
And last but not least, we've got PowerZone. When you need a specialized team of world-class engineers for your oil and gas pipelines, dewatering, or any fluid handling needs, you want to visit PowerZone.com. In addition to their inventory of rebuilt pumps, motors, engines, they also have an amazing team to design and engineer your systems, no matter the challenge, no matter the location. Get in the zone with PowerZone. Visit them at PowerZone.com. Okay, welcome back. Welcome to the show, Zara and Garth. It's great to have you on. Lots to cover today. Um, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us on. Thank you, John. Yeah. Um, okay, let's just jump. Let's just jump right into it. Um, I think. Uh, I think Zara, I'll, I'll start with you. Sort of that. Um, actually, let's start with just a briefly what both of your positions are with the company, just to give context of sort of where you specialize in. Sure, I, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I'm the VP of Mining, which is a newer business unit division uh, at Celexa. And the whole uh, goal and objective is to bring the fiber sensing technology into the mining section, which is uh, a lot of applications, exciting times. And so I, I came on board uh, about um, back in January. Uh, so my expertise is all uh, geotechnical engineering, mining for over 20 years, um, fairly new at the fiber optics technology. But I've had a lot of support, such as Garth and the team at Selexa, to get me up to speed with that. And how about you, Garth? Where, where do you sort of come from in the company? Good. Thanks, Jared. Uh, so as you mentioned, I'm a product officer at Selexa. So I work with the technology teams uh, and transfer those uh, technologies into products for a customer. Uh, you know, they don't want to look at bits and bytes of data or temperatures or acoustics. They want to know what's going on in the mine or they want to know what's going on in the oil well or the asset. So uh, that's my job to bring technology together, create solutions and products out of that. Yeah, that's uh, that. That could be a show in itself. That topic um, on the mining side, uh, Zara. I want to, Garth. What I'm going to, I think I'm going to set up the interview to do is have you sort of give some of that a little bit of what you touched on. So to unpack the products from a sort of a macro level and across industry and sort of the value they add. But before yeah. I got, jump into that section. Zara, I wanted to sort of set the scene for mining, because obviously we talk a lot about sensor technology. There, there has been talk about fiber on the show. Um, can you just sort of set the industry um, sort of layout landscape, if you will, and as it relates to, uh, to Selixa as well? Sure, yes. I mean, mining itself, the industry is going through a lot of changes, Jared, and, you know, it's exciting times, if, uh, especially if you like change. Uh, it's very different than it was 20 years ago and multiple fronts, ESG issues, sustainability, environment, governance, it's all, it's all a big topic by itself. In addition, mining's role in, in decarbonization in the future. Um, so that's, that's where the mining you know, industry is really leading, um, feeling that demand. Uh, and then mining itself, um, digitization and technology adoption is a big topic over the last few years to improve productivity uh, because mining grade, uh, ore grade is going lower, remote areas, um, rising labor costs, um, many permit issues, access to funds issues. And so the industry needs technologies that are sustainable, environmental friendly, central, you know, ability to remote access, and help the mines to improve their productivity and safety. Uh, so that kind of in parallel with what Selexa is offering and the entire distributed fiber optic sensing technology, 
is, uh, is just a great timing and opportunity to, to in introduce this technology into mining. Um, and Gart will, will build on that. But the technology itself, um, basically you run one cable, multiple fiber inside, uh, low power, central, uh, you know, remote access, and you do multiple measurements with that one cable fiber. So for large volumes, whether it's the rock mass or the tailings or the processing plant, you get real-time automated data, uh, reduces your footprint, environmental footprint, reduces your power consumption, and gives you a lot more access and control over your processes and mining operation across the line. Uh, so I think it's just exciting times um, to, to be at Selexan, with Selexan to at the show today to, to talk about this technology. Well, it's it's great to see the mining industry. I've said it many times on the show, wanting to talk. I remember a few years ago when we started the show, there was, I mean, uh, granted, we were also in much smaller shows. People didn't know us, so that's fair. Um, but there was a hesitancy. The people said, oh, talk for an hour about our company. We, we don't want to do that. <laughs> and now, I mean, we just do show after show after show <laughs> because people want to get out. They want to talk to people. They want feedback. They want to show how they're communicating their, their technology. I wanted to kind of, um, before again, before we jump into Gar's section, Zara, I wanted to... Um, you, you touched on it briefly, but you know you have the nice chart here, and we had talked about we talked about on the show, um, you know these separate buckets of technology that land in these mine sites. But I, I think I kind of just want to highlight quickly that Selixa is they are really offering a portfolio right a across in in all different applications in the mining operation. Is that do I have that right? Correct. Yes. Yes, yeah, so basically I can just summarize there's three areas. One, one is on the geotechnical monitoring and rock mass stability and you know tailings stability where uh, the focus is on the safety uh, aspect of the solution. So uh, basically in real time, uh, if in underground, if you're running fiber, uh, what's happening in terms of microseismic activity, strain and deformation in the rock mass, um, any kind of fault and geological structures activation to give you a heads up and to give you a better understanding of the rock mass reaction to mining operations. So it's a huge focus on the mining and the, on the safety side of it. Uh, when it comes to tailings monitoring and with recent years and the failures and the impact, the environmental impact that any failure has, um, then again, that's that's become a big topic. And with fiber, uh, the ease of installation, uh, running cable uh, at the construction of the site, at uh, tailings, or even afterwards, uh, gives you uh, a lot of parameters to measure. Uh, temperature and seepage uh, in real time. You can monitor seismicity, whether it's induced seismicity or seismic surface for subsurface imaging. Um, as well as the strain and movement and dam bridge. In case there is a failure, you can get alerted on it in real time. So again, not only on the safety aspect of it, uh, but also the bigger management of tailings, the bigger uh, minimizing the risk of environmental impact and impact on the communities. And, uh, and when you go to the third portfolio that we can talk a little bit more in, in depth to, it's the process monitoring side of it. So the same fundamentals of fiber sensing technology is used in the processing plant, where fiber is wrapped around the pipes across the processing plant from the hydrocyclones to flotation cells and thickener area. And you can do flow measurement in real time, highly accurate, uh, remote automated, 
and it gives you um, ability to do water management, especially in areas with uh, water problems and uh, water scarce regions such as um, South Africa, where we've had some installations. So you can do water consumption weather, you can have a much better control over the process, uh, especially with varying ore grades um, and the flotation cells. You want to measure the quantity and quality. Uh, so that's that's another area that um, Selexo's portfolio of services fits with the environmental needs, uh, with water management needs, and the safety and real-time monitoring. And uh, we can build on it a little further uh, later in the show, but with Anglo-American, we've been working and we've been actually partnering as part of their future smart uh, mining uh, platform. Uh, where Anglo-American got an award um, in the best use of uh, smart technology for sustainability using our uh, fiber wrap um, uh, technology in one of their plants in South Africa. And then since then, we've been uh, expanding that system across multiple Anglo-American sites uh, in, in Latin America and uh, soon in Australia as well. You know, I got to have, um, I got to have to sit on a... Uh on a panel, I, I got to host the panel. I keep saying I sat on it, I, I hosted it. I was not part of the panel um, with, with their CEO, Mark Kutafani. And, uh, and they're, they, they're, the leadership that that company has, their outlook is, is, is interesting. So it's, it's neat to hear you work with them because I kind of, I got a window into sort of how they, how they approach it. And they're very, uh, they're, they're very on it. Let's just put it that way. Garth, I want to jump over to you for this because, um, you know, I th Zara really out outlined it, it nicely, sort of from the mining perspective. But these things we're talking about, you know, sustainability, social license, safety, um, obviously tailing facility is very mining specific, but water water management, digitalization, all the things that that um, that Celixa is is involved in. Can you talk a little bit about that from a a little more of a macro? perspective across like across industry and sort of those those problems that you're 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 solving for people yeah absolutely i mean those issues across a, a lot of the sectors that we work in and you know we're working in also oil and gas for example a, a lot of our uh, heritage is from that background very very similar sort of issues over there so uh, you know the beauty of fiber is uh, is a sort of term that we use pervasive sensing we have a distributed sensor that is measuring along its entire length so if you take 10 kilometers of fiber we measure in every meter along that uh, fiber point. And so we can kind of have this monitoring at every point in the plant or any point in the process. And so what we've learned in oil and gas, we can kind of take that flow metering solution that we take from oil and gas, we can put it into mining. So when it comes to optimizing your mining plant, a lot of that optimization is through digitalization, but you can't have digitalization without data. And this pervasive sense in all this data that the fiber optic system is doing is going to then feed into that uh, uh, digitalization aspect of it as well. So those sustainability goals, uh, efficiency goals are very common in a lot of these other industries and we've been able to transfer that quite effectively across to the mining sector. And whether that's for process optimization or mechanical earth modeling is another area, you know, when we're looking at uh, strain monitoring, what we do in subsurface strain monitoring in oil and gas transfers very readily across into the mining sector. Or when we're looking at induced seismicity that you're getting from oil and gas fields and operations, Again, very transferable across into the mining sector, and I think that's the, the benefit. It's a, a new capability offered by fiber optic sensing technology, but it becomes very transferable across sectors. Now, it's our. This has been two, since two thousand seven um, that Selixa has been offering these services. So, 
Is, are a lot of companies now adopting it across industry or is it still new? And I, I just wanted to clarify this. Is it still new no. to a lot of companies or are it's there a, rapid adoption right now? No, 2007 is uh, still quite young for a lot of industries. You know, if we look right. at the, uh, a lot of our industries, you know, 10 year adoption of new technology is fairly common. You know, and I think kind of whether it's mining oil and gas or any of these large industries, they tend not to move too quickly. So, uh, and if you take 2007, when we started, it was very much in the academic aspect, developing the uh, the systems. And so, you know, the first three to four years was really proving that this could be done. You know, this was really involving the scientists, the engineers, the lab work. So commercial systems were probably 2011, 2012. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're at that 10-year point now where we're really coming to say, okay, we've been in this 10 years, we've done the field tests, we've proven the capability. And I think now we're starting to see that rapid increase in Mining is probably, uh, you know, really at the forefront of that. I think uh, people like you mentioned, Anglo, have got a very uh, forward-looking insight to this. They realize smart mining, what can they do? How can they optimize? Uh, they need measurements. They need ways to optimize. So I think it's uh, really starting to see that uptake now. I wonder and I can oh yeah please go ahead sorry I just wanted to add uh, you know Jared it's a really good point from industry to industry how they adopt technologies but also as it relates to distributed fiber optic sensing by itself it's a technology that's rapidly growing and it's quite emerging across multiple sectors so I was reading a report um, a couple of months ago that I was saying the size of um, distributed fiber optic sensing market is, uh, it was estimated uh, at around 1.1 billion for 2001 um, to 2021 this year. And it's rapidly growing at a rate of 10.5%. I'm looking at it right now over the next five years. And it's gonna be at around close to 2 billion mm. by 2026. And uh, there are a couple of uh, areas in civil applications, oil, oil and gas, transportation, uh, mining, and some of the reasons for that significant growth across multiple sectors was that it is um, a cost-effective system, it is centralized, and it's low power, uh, providing multiple measurements. Uh, so as it comes to fiber, it has also that elevated, I guess, application that uh, makes it less challenging compared to other technologies to kind of, uh, you know, as pollinate across. So I guess in different industries and mining historically has been a little bit more conservative. Yeah. Uh, but I think with this one, we'll see, we'll see more rapid change and, uh, and adoption of it. Yeah, we're certainly seeing, we're certainly seeing a shift in mining. There was someone on the show and I'm forgetting who it was. They, they just came on and they were saying, we were talking about, um, you know, mining was a little slow to get to the table but now they're all piling in <laughs> to the room yeah. you that's, know. that's true yes yeah. i mean i was uh, reading um uh, there was a paper um uh, at the cim conference actually mm. and uh, they were talking um this group a stratalist talking about how they went across multiple industries to see their technologies and then they presented it to their clients and they actually adopted a few of those technologies that were quite new to mining. So it's exciting to see that, you know, it's opening up and it's, uh, it's catching up and maybe exceeding the other industries. Yeah, well, that, that's, and that's the part that I really like, especially, I mean, I host other shows, but, uh, but it's nice to see that all of a sudden mining is like, no, we're not just going to keep up. We're going to actually get out ahead. I mean, this, like I said, this show, it used to be very basic sort of technology driven stuff and like, you know, heavy duty pumps and that we still do those shows, but now the technology is just inundated in the, this show and it's fantastic. Um, Garth, I want to jump over to you. Just, we, we've kind of touched on it, but I actually want to get into the nuts and bolts of it because 
there's going to be a lot of people that watch. You know, they, you hear distributed sensing. Um, we've got a little little uh, sort of GIF here that I'm watching on my screen. It goes over and over. This little red line goes through it. Can, can you tell us what it actually, how it works to the, to the best of your ability? No, okay. I'll try and uh, sort of make it uh, easy enough to understand, Jared. And, uh, you know, you touched the point there in the beginning that most people, when you say fiber optics, they think in uh, telecommunication. And yeah. that's definitely, you know, the main uh, application and purpose is all the internet traffic that's going around the world between uh, different continents. That's all fiber optic based. Uh, we're not using it for transferring data. It now is an analog system. It's not a digital system like the uh, telecommunication. Uh, but what we are making use of is uh, scattering within the fiber. So we send this very short pulse of light. In that respect, it's like communication fiber. We send the short pulse of light down. But we're not looking at the light signal being received at the other end. We look at the scattering that comes back from the fiber. And so the fiber optic properties change according to the uh, presence of things around it. So if the temperature changes, the scattered light coming back changes. You've got something called Stokes anti-Stokes bands and they temperature sensitive. We can also look at the acoustic sensor because the, the strain on the fiber also changes the uh, scattering coming back. So all of these properties, we can look at either temperature, acoustics or strain uh, from this fiber optic system. And it's quite beautiful because it's a, a really small sensor. It's 250 microns, so a quarter of a millimeter in diameter. So it's very small, easy to put this right across your plant. And as I was saying in the beginning, every meter along that fiber, you get a measurement of acoustics, temperature, and strain. So you can now imagine what you can start to understand, you know, if you're looking at structural change, if it's in your mind and you're worried about a fault or a, a structural positional change, you can look at that strain change. If you're worried about a process plant overheating, you can look at the temperature. So very, very uh, widely adaptable to all different parts of the mine and the process. You know, if you're if you're someone who like yourself who knows, you, you might laugh at my question here. But was fiber optic um, was it designed for telecommunications um, and, and for internet and all these things that it gets used for primarily? And then somebody, you know, a company like Slixa, did they come along and say, "Hey, we can use this for something else"? Or was that sort of? I, I know maybe you don't even know the answer to this, but was it developed? with the realization that it could be used for this sort of data collection? Uh, no, it was, as you say, it was primarily for uh, telecommunication. That was the kind of early thoughts. And, you know, this is, uh, Cal was the original, uh, you know, which we say the, the original uh, guy who came up with a lot of the telecommunication requirements back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, but fibers then weren't very good. They were quite high loss. They were quite cloudy, if you sort of think of them in that respect. You couldn't get very far. And, uh, you know, in the 1970s, uh, early 80s, they made big changes and they suddenly realized this is something that could not only just go over a few hundred meters, this could go thousands of kilometers. And then in the 1980s, uh, people started uh, taking principles from other areas, uh, Raman backscattering, which had been proved in other materials. They realized, oh, hang on, this could be applied to fiber optic sensors. And uh, a lot of the early work were people like University of Southampton were the first ones doing uh, distributed temperature sensing on these fibers. And so a lot of it has been driven by academic uh, research. And I think that was the challenge for a company like Stelixer as well. It came out of university uh, ideas, a lot of uh, uh, very smart guys, a lot of PhDs in the company, guys who'd proven the principles. Um, but the challenge is then commercializing that, making sure you can do it repeatedly, reliably, and on scale. And uh, you know, I think that's where we've really tried to push these principles out and not only demonstrate that it's a scientific possibility, but it's a commercial, uh, repeatable process now. 
How do you do that? That that's a that is a in that what you just said alone is one yeah. of the biggest. There is this huge gap, and I think it's closing. I think probably the yes. amount of the amount of information that can be shared and the time it can be shared. I mean, you got to remember. I mean. 20 years ago, you couldn't sit on a, like, we, we built this off a of Google Doc. You couldn't sit there and in real time on Zoom update from a completely different part of the world, be updating documents. I mean, it was just the speed that you can, can accelerate communication now is amazing. Just that alone helps. The, yeah. That conversion, and that, that's probably why Selixa would was founded, I assume. How challenging is that, that conversion from an academic and a scientific application to now we're going to go to one of the biggest mining companies in the world or the biggest oil and gas company in the world and we're going to tell them to implement this into their entire system which is a i mean just the layers of of the chain of command you have to go through to convince people to do that is is a feat in itself so can you talk a little bit about just getting it yeah I can. Do that commercialization no, absolutely yeah, and I think it's uh, there's a few layers in the company that you have to go through and stages of the company. And I think we've got to recognize, uh, you know, we're a venture capital-backed company. And so the early years, the venture capital teams were quite uh, prepared to be patient and say, look, we're not going to be making money. We have to de develop technology first. But then they also realized that, look, now the uh, technology is commercial. Uh, we have to tell the engineers to not make it perfect. At some point, we've got to say, right, you've got a very good system over there. Commercialize that one uh, and take a commercial product to market. Uh, you can't be bringing R&D units along all the time. That's fine when you're field testing, but you, you've got to then yeah. uh, lock it down. And the next stage, I think, of the company's growth uh, came when, you know, we started to create dedicated discipline business sectors. Yeah. And so, uh, hence why Zara is here to help us in the mining sector. You know, very specific. Zara understands that sector very well, understands what the business requirements are, the commercial requirements, the technical requirements. Uh, and so we have these business sectors in uh, mining, oil and gas, environmental. Uh, so all of these are very disciplined business sectors that can you know, give those requirements back to the technology teams. But I think what has helped us as well when we were talking about uh, cross-sector and taking to the cross-sectors, we've been able to uh, take the learnings from one sector and make sure that you know when you're growing very quickly, like the mining sector, if you grow too quickly, you, know, you can be inundated with service quality issues. But when you've got background and experience in other sectors, you realize what type of fiber you need to deploy that's going to be reliable, mm. how do you manage this data? So you can actually scale up incredibly quickly because you've learned some of those lessons in other sectors. So I think that was the key for us, you know, developing a really, really good technology is very key, very important. And I don't want to underestimate what that team has done. What uh, is important to Selexa is that, you know, we have the best temperature measurement, the best acoustic measurement. So having this high fidelity enable us to run applications that maybe others couldn't. So that fidelity and performance is very key to us and you know, underpins the company, but then linking it to the business sector is what makes it commercially successful. Right, you, you touched on something um, that I, I think is, is very interesting. And I, I'm drawing blanks today on some of these people that have said these neat things on the show, but one of the discussions I had, um, this is almost two years ago now, was that if you're developing a new technology some mistakes that a company can make can they can spend 90% of the time on 1% of the problem. And that can yeah. really delay commercialization. Is that sort of what you're referring to where, you know, it, it's never perfect, right? You always, there's always room to improve. Sometimes you don't even know what the improvement needs to be. Um, and were you sort of, were you part of some of those choices to say, okay, this is time to yes, I, I think this out without the R&D team? 
Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. I think kind of those little improvements will uh, help along the way. But at some point, you've got to say, now it is good enough. It's uh, it exceeds the customer's requirements, you know. And uh, I guess there's a hygiene level that I'd call it, you know, beyond which you get that minimal further gain. And then it becomes much more important to make the system robust and reliable than to maybe make it uh, higher performance. And we have got different sectors where those requirements might differ. So, uh, you know, we still work with a lot of the national labs, the universities. These guys always want the highest performance and reliability is less of an issue to them. But, you know, when we're going to big mining customers, reliability is also very important. So we can't compromise performance for reliability. So it's understanding the the trade-offs and uh, where to go. So, you know, a lot of the systems go go out right now, uh, you know, is an R&D choice, but then it also gets handed over to a production department that'll fully test the system over the, the full operating temperature range before you give it to a customer, do shotgun vibration testing. So all of these are much more important to a commercial customer than maybe a, a university who's just focused on performance. So you've got to get to the good performance first. That's, of course, what you must do. But once you've got there, uh, make sure it's robust and commercial. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that that whole process of doing that, I would love to, you know, I, I think one day we're actually going to do a panel. Um, I just thought of that we should do a panel one, you know, someone like yourself, have, have people from different with different applications come in and just talk about the R&D and to com- commercialization. It's a fascinating topic. Um, Zara, I want to jump over to you for a moment for the, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about the mining, but I wanted to talk a little bit about you as a professional um, with your background that you touched on at the beginning of the show, when you come on to a company like Selixa, is it do you pick up pretty quick what what they're offering because because of your background, or is it was there a lot to learn sort of to then be ready to take this out you know professionally into the market and and sort of enter into these uh, discussions with mining companies? Oh, good question, Jared. I think um, I think it was. Um, it was, I wasn't quick to learn, uh, but it was a great team. I had a lot of uh, one-on-ones and group discussions to get up to speed with the technology. I still, I'm not uh, an expert by any means. I still bring a lot of the technical experts in the calls, but I think uh, the, the very interesting part of it was that as I was hearing about the technology and how it works and the applications outside mining, I was kind of linking back to, hey, we can use it here, we can use it there, especially with with the geotechnical, you know, expertise um, and background that I I had. Well, we very rapidly realized there is there's actually a lot of um, you know areas where fiber can be a, a very you know matching technology application. So um, so that's I I worked as a as a geotech engineer, um, you know, underground mine, open pit mine. So the the challenge of collecting data and instrumentation, making sure they work, um, visualize, uh, you know, um, visual uh, checkups and bring, bringing everything together. Uh, and so what's important and what's not. And then suddenly you see a completely new technology and how it works and, and then the light bulbs go on. So, on. so we had a number of discussions internally uh, to kind of just um, iron out the issues with what's possible and not, and what's visible, and then brought those discussions to um, to mining contacts and and the mines, and we've had. The, and then it's the more interesting part of it is that then when we sit with the clients and with the mines and talk with them, then I also I also offer solutions. To say, well, they're actually we have this challenge here, and the technology mm-hmm. is a good a good match. So it's more of bringing expertise together um and uh you know and and uh going from that and i think that 
that's that's the unique advantage of Selexa. As, as Garth mentioned, we bring domain expertise. Uh, so it's a combination of fiber engineers and a strong R&D team with the domain expertise, understanding what the industry needs, and then bringing the clients to the table as well. We've been very open to say, these are you know, the possibilities and this is the areas that, that's new and we want to develop further. And we would love to partner with you such as we've done with Anglo-American. You know, I, uh, something that came to my mind is that when, you, when we're having these discussions, quite often um, I, don't, I don't get to talk to the minds before uh, you know, a, a company like yours comes on. So I don't know exactly what sort of hangups you run into or what questions they would have for you. So I want to talk some, I want to break down the applications, but before we do that, when you, Zara, when you come into a room, what are, what are some of the hangups? What are some of the questions that people are asking? Um, that maybe not even hangups. What are the, what's the information that they need clarified or, you know, where you need to bring in, you know, a technical team or, or what have you? What, what are some of those common questions you're getting? Good question. Um, I think, one of the big things with mining, uh, you know, remote areas, especially if you go underground, a really challenging working environment. So one of the, the first questions is how easy it is to install the system uh, for underground or open pit mining. Um, and so there's quite a lot of discussion around that, the logistic of getting fiber either along the tunnel or in boreholes. Um, and so part of it is installation. The other par big part of it is the data transfer and data um, integration and the processing of the data. So what kind of facilities, what kind of servers you need, how can you set it up underground or not? Do you need to time sync it, GPS time sync it, and then what kind of servers you need to manage the data? So those are the two key, um, I guess, areas of discussion. But a lot of it, once it's installed and once that's set up, it's the applications of it um, that, uh, you know, uh, the minds can also say, we're going to use it for this, or we're going to use it as extensometers or use it as, you know, geophone systems. Um, so that's on the geotechnical monitoring side. With tailings, um, similar concept, the installation is a big topic. And also because tailings are remote, you want the data in real time uh, from oh. anywhere. That's a big topic that we can address. And then on the processing control with the fiber wrap and flow measurement, um, uh, typically the questions are again around um, how do you install it at the plant, which is which is fairly easy. You just wrap the fiber and you're done. You don't even interrupt the, the operation. <laughs> um, no shutting down the pipes or anything or cutting the pipes. Uh, you retrofit it and then you set it up in a server room that can be kilometers away and you're set to go and any, you know, any remote access is possible as well. Um, I, I, little tongue in cheek, but I, I was wondering as with your background, because you're a geotechnical engineer and um, you must, do you ever go on these sites and is it hard to not point out things that they, that they could do better? <laughs> Did we ever try to get a little extra extra consulting out of you and go, hey, what about this process? I, I bet it actually does happen to you. Well, it's, it's funny <laughs> you, you say, because, yeah, I, uh, you know, I worked at Valet and we had a strong ground control geotechnical team, you know, meeting every month and learning and discussing issues at different sites and how we can make it better. And then 
I, uh, um, I, I uh, travel afterwards with different um, positions. I move, I travel to South Africa, South America a lot, and I would go underground for one thing, and then I would point out other things. And, uh, and so, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's quite common. But I mean, it's also very difficult. And mining cultures are quite different from region yeah. to region. And also, you know, the, um, productivity and efficiency and monitoring, it has to be a balance of cost and value. Uh, so no other, no one mine can have everything together. So we always kind of go for the best of what's, what's optimum, you know, solution. And you can't have one system to answer all your questions. You can't have the best grant support. You can't have the best everything. So, so yeah, it's happened a lot, but um, I know the answer is never that easy. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's just, as soon as you were talking about going to the site, I went, oh, I realized people are going to be asking you questions. It happens to us. We, we produce and we distribute out our content. So of course, when guests come on the show, we all know we'll end up doing like mini consulting work for them as, as they're putting out their content. It's quite kind of funny. Um, let's talk about, you, you touched on it, but I think there's, there's three and I wanna make sure that the tailings dam, the fiber wrap, and I think there's a third. Um, I'll let you lay it out rather than me trying to lay it out. That's usually how it goes better. So could you lay out a couple that, let's start with the process monitoring. You touched on it a little bit, but can you just unpack it a little bit more um, just from from in, within working within their operations? You already touched on some of the installation parts in that, um, but could you just add a little bit more to that process monitoring side? Sure, and the process monitoring side, um, it's fiber wrap. It's a technology quite unique to Selexa. Selexa actually has been very good at the, the advantages over other, you know, fiber providers, sensing providers. Um, there's quite a few patents. As, as Gard mentioned, it's always the focus on the best performance. Uh, so with fiber wrap, it's one of those applications. There is uh, a few other uh, flow measurement technologies uh, in the market, but uh, what Selexa is offering is quite unique to Selexa with distributed fiber optic sensing. So you basically take that one core of fiber for 10 kilometers. You go across your plant from the, uh, uh, you know, hydrocyclones to, to flotation cells to the thickener area. And the areas, the pipes, you want to monitor the flow in real time. You just wrap uh, fiber around it, then communication fiber to the next point, then you wrap fiber. So you can have about 20, 25 measurement zones with that one single fiber cable then the fiber gets connected to the interrogator, that DAS, IDAS unit um, in a control room kilometers away. And then the system in real time gives you the flow, um, the speed of the flow within each pipe uh, of those two 20 zones or so. In real time, you can uh, remote into the system, you can get the output, integrate with your data, and it's highly accurate. So as I mentioned with Anglo-American, we've had multiple installations and it's just been a lot of learning for us as well. And um, it came up to, you know, there's a lot of areas we can develop. So uh, our CEO was quite uh, strategic to say, these are the areas we want to develop now. And after about four or five years that we have really developed those um, to a commercial stage, we are now working to do further developments of measuring other parameters with, uh, with other than the flow of, um, of the fluid. And so the advantages of this system is that I mentioned, so you don't need any power, it's just fiber cable. You don't need any mechanical part, any data communication infrastructure at the plant. It just, the cable does all the work. Um, and then it's non-intrusive. You can retrofit um, to any existing pipes, uh, small pipes, we've installed it on pipes as, uh, as large as 50 inches. 
Um, so it's any kind of material, multi-phase, um, you know, fluids, as long as it's turbulent, that's the key, we can do measurements. So the way it works is that every time there is a turbulent flow of, of a fluid or gas uh, inside the pipe, it causes eddies or vortices on the pipe. Uh, so those kind of micro dynamic strains, hood strains uh, uh, on, the, on the pipe, that the fiber uh, can pick it up, it's so sensitive, can pick it up in the exterior of the pipe. Then that acoustic signal, uh, we change it to, um, uh, to frequency domain, and then we, from there we measure the, uh, the fluid velocity. Uh, we've done measurements below one meter per second, which is uh, a lot of other technologies can't do. Uh, and we can also kind of do, depending on the vortex power, as well as the fluid uh, velocity, we can also kind of do a little bit of condition monitoring to see if there isn't a lot of settlements, for example, mm. um, within the pipe. So it's a technology that's also, as we learn more, we're developing it further. And uh, for Anglo-American, uh, I mentioned they, they incorporated it. The, one of one of the key reasons uh, was for them to do water management and conserve water better, to manage overflows, underflows, and in real time, better see what the flow is in different regions of the plant. And the other criteria they were looking at it, it was because it was most cost effective, uh, just because with that one system, um, you're, you're, you can measure measure multiple points 20 25 point and also low power so they very they were very specific to say that it is in line with uh, with with uh, with their sustainability objectives you know initiatives of being environmentally robust um bringing technologies that are environmentally robust so that's uh that is on the fiber wrap side there's a lot that i can go on uh, about but uh, i don't want to bore your audience um, i don't know if so... you'll bore our audience they're pretty into this, this type I was going to ask a question though about um, about just scale of mine. Like, if if you're a smaller minor mining operation, is, is this is this applicable? Is this could this be a way um, to to sort of uh, leap ahead on your sustainability goals and and things like that and efficiency goals, or is this application primarily for a, a larger operation? Um, I, th I think it is, depends on what you want to monitor. So for example, if you say, I want to just monitor a small area, a few feet by few feet underground, or I just want to monitor flow measurements um, in you know two or three zones, that's not the most cost effective. The mm -hmm. value of fiber comes when you want to monitor very large volumes or long distances, because that cable can run for kilometers, 10, 20, 30, depending right. on the application. And then every meter along it, you, you technically can do a measurement. So then for that you know, 10 to 20 kilometer of fiber, you just need that one unit of interrogator, which is right. the pricey part of the system. Uh, so even a smaller mine can have that. It's probably more cost effective. You want to monitor a larger volume. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I, and I figured that I just wanted to clarify. Jared, just in reference to the point there that you raised about uh, applicability of the technology to uh, smaller mines and smaller operators, uh, you know, we found in other industries that the smaller operators are a lot more nimble and they'll pick up on technology quicker than some of the uh, big uh, players who, you know, have more bureaucracy and more inertia around them. Yeah. And this is quite important, you know, that 10 year introduction phase that we spoke about in the beginning can be a lot smaller when you're an independent and you can use this sort of technology to differentiate. You can become more efficient, uh, you know, uh, more sustainable because you're using technology. And I think independent smaller operators pick up on that quicker and hopefully that then transfers to the bigger uh, teams. But a lot of the 
innovation, like us as a small company, innovation comes from the smaller places and then right. scales out to the bigger operators. So it's really about finding out where that line is of, you know, if they just, I, I think like Zara said, if they need like three sensing points, might not be worth their investment. But, but depending on what they're trying to measure, it's really just about taking a look at what their, what their essentially pain points are and then seeing if it's applicable, no matter the size of the operation. Exactly, yes. Kate, tailings them. That's, uh, I mean, uh, I don't know how many shows we've done on tailings. It's, it's, <laughs> a, huge, it's a huge issue, especially once, once a couple uh, give away and their disaster strikes, now people pay attention. And not, and not just the mining community, just mm-hmm. general populace, and as they should. Um, let's talk a little bit about the value. Again, you touched on it earlier, but let's unpack the value a little bit about on the tailings side. Sure. Uh, so with tailings, on the tailings side, we have been working with a hydro research based in Sweden for years now, even before Selexa was established, uh, the partners, um, the owners were working with hydro research. So it started from seepage monitoring through uh, distributed temperature sensing. So you put cable uh, within the construction, uh, whether it's hydro dam or tailings, and you measure temperature uh, across the cable, across the entire interior length of the dam continuously around the clock. And then you put reference points. So seepage and temperature are connected. Every time there is a significant temperature change um, and there is seasonal variations of temperature, the cable picks that up. And then that gives you an indication in real time and with very high location accuracy, which no other technology can provide. Where you have that temperature change and then with hydro research, we can also give you the information on the seepage and the flow rate. So what is the flow rate and um, in real time, a, a simple estimation of it, and if there is any rapid changes in it and where exactly it, that is. So that, that started from, um, you know, in Sweden, now um, LKAB and Boliden, all those tailings dams are monitored by, um, by fiber, sensing fiber for seepage. And then uh, we've also done dam bridge. So basically as soon as there is any strain on fiber, uh, any local failures, the fiber can pick it up, and that can give you an alert that there there might be an um, you know a, a, a failure somewhere uh, a dam bridge. So that's quick alert um, on the on the entire you know dam. So that's um, that's the the key application. That's the easier part of it. In addition to temperature and seepage, we've most recently been working with um, Sysprop and doing DAS analysis and seismic analysis. So we now combine the DAS and seismic signals with the temperature signals, which uh, temperature gives you more of a uh, kind of near field around the cable changes of seepage and erosion. And then with DAS, we can not only do induced seismic monitoring in case there is abnormal seismicity or large seismicity, we can also do um, uh, we can also do seismic surveys using ambient noise interferometry technique, for example. And then that allows you to image the entire subsurface of the dam. So every time the velocity of the seismic signals change, that can indicate that you have internal erosion or fines flowing, uh, material changing, and that can also indicate that there might be um, areas of um, higher seepage or defects, cracks, fractures. And then in addition to that, with the DSS side of uh, fiber sensing and strain monitoring, uh, we can uh, locate any areas that there is settlement, deformation, and, and movement uh, in real time and with high location accuracy. So now we're integrating all three elements of distributed temperature monitoring, distributed seismic monitoring, 
and distributed uh, strain uh, sensing or monitoring into one platform. So that gives you um, opportunities for real-time alerts in case temperature rapidly changes or there is seismic events or there is strain and movement. And then we can also have a lot of data for uh, after processing. So occasional surveys to image the entire subsurface and see if anything has changed over, over a period of uh, weeks or months. And on the, uh, the, because of the seismic monitoring, that also is applicable to the geotechnical side Correct. as well, right? And that's, so that, that's another layer or that's another bucket that you can offer based on the seismic. Is that right? That's correct. And uh, thanks for pointing that out. And, um, you know, one of the, um, uh, the advantages of Selexa has been the IDAS system and most recently the Carina system that we were, uh, we got an award for it in terms of innovation, the commercial space a couple of months ago. So with the Carina system and in combination with the Constellation engineered fiber, that's a Selexa invention, uh, we have been applying it um, in the oil and gas and carbon sequestration and geothermal applications. That Carina and Constellation cable, it has a very much equivalent or in some cases better performance than the traditional geophone sensors. So you get a lot of a high uh, array of you know, geophones technically around the cable and you get a uh, hundred times better signal to noise ratio. Uh, so we have signals that show better quality than geophones and then that fiber can do your seismic monitoring uh, in real time for you as well. You know, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot of ground to cover, um, you know, and I, I just wondered um, from, from your perspective, like it, it must be sort of neat to be at sort of this, you know, cause you've worked, you had a lot of experience in the industry and now to sort of be able to sort of take this type of technology and enter it into a, into a, you know, into the Canadian market. And, you know, you, you backed by a company that's done so much research and commercialized their product. Um, what, what's that sort of been like for you to sort of have that experience of, of, of being on the forefront of, of bringing Selixa into the Canadian mining market and into other markets? Oh, very exciting, Jared. Very exciting. I mean, I've been passionate about the mining industry, you know, since I decided which, which degree to, to pursue, whether it's electrical or computer and mining, and mining was definitely the one. <laughs> and I'm not regretting it. It's just been through a lot of like, exciting changes. And, and, you know, when I was working at the mine sites, as I mentioned before, it was just constantly installing instrumentations, making sure they're working. Every time you wanted to get to instrumentation underground, it was a long time and collect data, bring it to surface, make sense. That was days. By the time you wanted to make sense of the data, the time was gone to make a decision that you can apply. Now with the integration of instrumentations, bringing data in real time, you know, digitization, a lot of modeling programs and uh, data analysis it's just so exciting because you you talk to the rock mass more directly you understand what it's telling what it's needing what you need to do uh, more quickly to to improve the safety to improve the stability and keep the production going you know so it's uh it's really exciting and then with fiber as i've been learning more about it i kind of regret that i why i didn't know about it a lot sooner <laughs> i would have switched sooner <laughs> yeah life is that way in a lot of ways isn't it <laughs> no i it, it's exciting to learn about it um you know i hope we get to unpack it more i think you know in some of these different industries that you're serving as well i'm sure there's lots of interesting uh topics to cover in the oil and gas side um Garth, I have to bring you in before we wrap up the interview because there is for sure someone asking, um, me being one of them, is 
what do you do with the data? <laughs> how do you how do you organize it? How yeah. do you distribute it? Um, all these is there sort of a suite? Is there a central system? Is it integrated into other people's systems? What do you do once you're collecting all this? It's a Great question, Jared, because these things can generate a lot of data. You know, uh, we've spoke about these exciting things. You've got 10 kilometers of fiber, you measure in every meter along there. Well, that means that you've got 10,000 measurements over there. Uh, and they could be 10,000 measurements of acoustic strain and temperature. So that's three times 10,000. And the acoustics we can do at 10 kilohertz. So, you know, you've, you've got huge amounts of data. And what's important is that you don't overwhelm the customer with that data volume. They just wouldn't be able to manage it. You'd be looking for the needle in the haystack. So what we've been doing, we've developed an edge processing platform. And the reason we call it the edge platform, it sits on the edge of the network. It sits right there where we generate in the data. So it's very efficient. The high-speed uh, network transfers at 10 gig all takes place at the control room in the mine. And we use that platform to combine the different data sets. So the temperature, the acoustics, the uh, strain all get combined and uh, controlled at that edge platform. But it also then strips out the relevant information and it processes and then it provides the relevant information to uh, the mine operator. So that's uh, a very important upper, uh, you know, uh, part of it so that you can get the right data at the right time, speed of relevance, you know, when you need that data, it's there because you've got this edge processing platform. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad we covered that because, <laughs> because I, I think anybody listening is gonna go there. There is an exceptional amount of data that, that's coming through. Um, and it's, yes. is it quite, uh, you probably just explained it, but again, rudimentary understanding, is it, does it integrate into other people's system or is a standalone application that they're watching uh, through a system? No, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that integration is key to it, yeah. Um, so, you know, we can talk to the SCADA system, the control system on the mind. Uh, so we've got uh, standard industrial protocols for communicating between our system and the mind system. And, you know, this links very much to what we were talking about uh, commercial systems earlier in the talk. You know, you don't want to be given lots of science type information. You want to be given uh, information that can be used in the process system and can be integrated into other systems, whether it's the, uh, you know, process system for the metering or whether it's the mechanical earth model because you're doing the strain monitoring. Uh, we make sure that that data can be used uh, effectively and efficiently in that system uh, because it has to integrate with the rest of the mine uh, process and uh, uh, data sets yeah yeah you know both of you i want i want to thank you for coming on the show it's um it's i just i just love doing these these with this this technical information laying everything out um you know we've had uh, i like having people at different positions uh, of every company but when you can technically lay out for the in an operation how your application works it's just it's so interesting um I wish I had a better, better memory so I could pack all of the stuff that I learned on the show in. But I do want to thank you both for coming on the show. Uh, Slixa for supporting the show and sharing this information. Um, it, it's great to have you. And, and I hope we, I, I really do hope we get to do it again sometime. Thank sure, you, Jared. Thank you. It's this been a lot fun. of fun. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Um, if you like mining, you you would have loved that interview. I, I think that's a I think that's a safe thing to say. They're doing amazing stuff. A lot of the research. I hope we get Slicks to back off for some of the oil and gas. I think that'll be a, another interesting stream to talk about. Um, thank you, Gowdy, for putting everything together. She's still working behind the scenes, so I'm flying solo today. But thank you for watching. Please subscribe, share, like, comment. We have. Um, 
we just have had so many people suggest guests to us now. I mean, this the, our show is really becoming built off of people sharing their network with us. We will, I want to thank you for doing that. We really do appreciate it. And it just adds so many layers to the show because it's easy to get sort of stuck in your little bubble and sort of just keep building on your small little network. But you bringing in people to the show, we really appreciate that. Keep sending us. Um, you can subscribe on our YouTube, LinkedIn, and all our channels. Just look up Crownsman or Mining Now. Check out CIM, what they're doing. It's also on their site if you're a member there. Talk soon. See you on the next, next episode of Mining Now.